How's it going today, guys? We're back here live in the studio once again for another episode of Hot Takes with C3. Today, I'm joined once again by none other than the Brett Baker. Today's Tuesday, May 14th, 2018. It is NBA Draft Lottery Day, but before we get to that, we got a couple other things to talk about. Brett, say what's up to the people. How we doing? Um, we got a nice little show today. We had Thomas's beloved Rockets, his guys, failing to get to a Game 7. We had a couple awesome Game 7s, and I mean, those were some of the best, like, sequenced Game 7s that we've seen in a while, like, back-to-back, mm-hmm. and I mean, those were extremely enjoyable. I wish the Rockets would have squeezed by. They didn't, though. What are your thoughts on that? And then we'll get into the second, the 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 teams that actually got to Game Seven. You know, it hurt, man. I was actually like a hundred percent sure the Rockets were going to win that game. I just saw it absolutely no way that they lose at home to the Warriors without Demarcus Cousins and Kevin Durant. But we saw probably we saw the Warriors, you know, have like one of that. I think that was like a signature dynasty game for them. Oh, you know? yeah, like for when sure. you think back on a team, like that's always the game that I think that I'll remember the Warriors by is that game. And I think that was kind of Steph Curry's signature game. The fact he scored zero points in the first half, then at 33 in the second half. I personally didn't think Harden and Paul really played that bad. Mm-hmm. I just felt like that Golden State, you know, Steve Kerr ever gets enough credit for how good of a coach he is. I mean, he clearly he does, had a I game mean. plan and. Yeah, that game plan he had was crazy. I mean, the fact that he could win without two all-stars and without the best player in the NBA on the floor, I mean, there's not many teams and coaches that can do that. And as far as, far as you know, that dynasty, that that game, the dynasty-making game or whatever you would like to call it, but that was kind of like, you know, one of those Tom Brady wins with a team with nothing or Bill Belichick wins with a team with nothing. And the Warriors... As much credit as they get for being one of the greatest basketball teams in the history of the NBA, they almost don't get enough credit to beat the Rockets on the road without their without two of their best players and Steph Curry struggling for an entire half, scoring zero points. He did come back, scored 33 or 32, 33? 33 points. Yeah, 33 points. He had 17 points going into the final four minutes. Like. Yeah. And, and, I mean, it's tough to see, but at the same time, I mean, respect to them. It's definitely tough for you. Uh, Me and Thomas actually had plans to record a podcast, and we had been texting prior to the game. And he just kind of, like, didn't even... Usually, like, if we have a plan to record at 12 p.m., he'll, like, text you, like, an hour or so beforehand, seeing where we're at. He didn't even send a text. So I was like, you know what? This guy definitely needs some time to cool off a little bit i was hurt man i was hurt i wanted to cry and now it's tuesday (laughs) and now it's tuesday we're just now getting back into the booth but it was it was a tough one we'll move forward for the sake of thomas he he literally looks sad on the monitor right now he just (laughs) looks sad but we had some awesome game sevens we'll touch on the first one later on we got to move on in terms of picking a headline. Uh, there's a lot to talk about on those game seven, so we'll wait. And yeah, well, wait, you don't want to talk? No, I said we go ahead and talk about game sevens now. Just like everything that happened in them. Okay, I mean, if you want That's to, it. I know it's a little. Yeah, actually, you know what? While we're since we're talking about the Rockets and the Warriors series, we might as well just continue talking about yeah, it. Yeah, That's what I was going to say. I mean. Yeah, I mean, Houston had so many chances to win the series. You look at all the games, Houston was in it. I mean, the games, no game was a blowout. Every game came down to pretty much the very, very end. Unfortunately, you know, they really couldn't pull it out. And like I said, it's just the coaching and everything the Warriors have. I mean, the Warriors are clearly the better coach team. Houston couldn't, I mean, Houston's never going to have a better chance than they have. You have Kevin Durant get hurt, come back down, what were they down, 20 in game five, and they come back from down 20 points and they still can't win. I mean, I feel like Houston, if you look at it from their perspective, you had every single chance you could possibly ever have to win this series and they couldn't take advantage of it so I honestly think it calls for changes in Houston I mean we even heard Daryl Morey come out and say that pretty much um, PJ Tucker and James Harden are the only players that are off when it comes to trades and I think it's the right move I mean Chris Paul's old I think Chris Paul played good in game seven but I think or in game six but I think up until that point you could have definitely gotten better play out of Chris Paul I felt like he had a lot of turnovers he didn't shoot the ball well he was using a lot of energy on the defensive end but still like you got to have more than you're getting from your second best player and I, I love Chris Paul I mean I really do have uh, enjoyed watching him all throughout his career but I feel like this guy was just fueling the Warriors. I mean, he was just such a prima donna about things that, I mean, like not letting Steph on the court, obviously 
if you piss somebody off, there's a chance that they might like stick it to you. And you should just go by the rule of, you know, like, you know, let success be your noise. I don't know why he was just testing the Warriors all series. I guess I understand that it doesn't necessarily mean that it was his fault by any means. But, I mean, why even test him? I didn't understand why he kept on doing that. But it is. Yeah, I felt like he was always running his mouth, you know. Like, he always had something to say to KD. Like, he said something to say to Steph. I felt like he was more concerned with just, like, talking the talk than actually playing ball. I mean, if you look at the stats for Houston, he was getting a lot of assists. But Chris Paul was not scoring the ball like he regularly would. I mean, he – it just didn't seem like the same old Chris Paul that we've seen in the past in the playoffs. I mean, he did have 27 in the last game, which was by far his highest scoring. But, I mean, if you look at the other games, the series, on the in the game on Wednesday, game five, 11 points. I mean, you got to have better than that. Three for 14 from the field. That's absolutely awful. It did hit a single three-pointer in that game. I mean, just looking through his stats and for especially- all these games, series, 13, 14 points in game, and then other two games. Yeah, they won those games. But, I mean, you got to get but, more I than mean, that. especially so, when you – when you take into consideration that he wasn't scoring like he normally does, when you take it into consideration that these games, I mean, game one separated by five points, game two separated by five points, the third loss separated by six, and then the last one, of course, being separated by four, this is a series that was so tight that, you know, if he was better on the offensive side of the ball in terms of, you know, scoring, they would have won pretty easily. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you you pay him the big bucks. You want he's your all star point guard. You want him to you know take some of the pressure off James Harden in terms of the scoring output, and, and he didn't. And I mean, that's one of the key reasons I think that they have lost this series because of Chris Paul's inability to score. I mean, yeah, I mean. You can't put it all on Chris Paul, but I mean, oh, yeah, you somewhat can, blame course. Harden. But I mean, 11 for 25, 6 for 15 from 3 for James Harden. I mean, that's a regular James Harden game. 35 points, you know, 8 rebounds, 5 assists. I mean, that's a typical James Harden game that you see the Warriors or the Rockets come out and win. Thought Eric Gordon didn't play great in that last game. He had played good for him all season, but I mean, he was 4 of 10 from the field for 9 points. One, he had, I don't think he hit a 3-pointer in the game. I mean, you got to have better than that from Eric Gordon. You're best actually he was he's 50 percent, so he's one for two from three i mean you got to have eric gordon shoot more than two three pointers you know he's one of your best shooters arguably one of the best three point shooters in the league if you look at his stats throughout the series 15 in game one then 30 20 19 you know like yeah i just feel like that that's not the eric gordon you know you see yeah for sure and i mean the fact that he was four for ten in that last game and he only shot he was one for two from the three-point line but he didn't shoot as many threes as yeah. you'd like to see. And I understand that last year they lost because they live and died by the three-point shot. And Yeah. I mean, well, is he that, also shot double-digit threes in every single game yeah. except for game two. Is this a... I mean, I know you're a big Rockets fan, and I hate, I hate to even say this because it's probably going to hurt you, but they've kind of produced a choking culture in Houston. I mean, they've done it last year, this year. Uh, they had their best opportunity this year and then last year they missed 25 threes in a game seven in which they could have easily won and I think that I mean Houston's window might be closing I think with Chris Paul as their number two, the window has closed. I just feel like that Chris Paul this season, and we know how he is, he only gets more injury-prone as he goes on and on, and as you get older, he's already a kind of an injury-prone player. I just feel like the window has kind of closed for them with Chris Paul as that number two option. I think there needs to be some serious changes with the roster. Obviously, you got to keep James Harden, keep, like we said earlier, P.J. Tucker with how he plays defense mm-hmm. and everything, but... Does a lot. I would even keep, I would even keep around Capella, but at the end of the day, if you got to make some blockbuster trade and involves Capella in it, you got to do what you got to do to get the team right and get everything right. I mean, we've seen you can win without a center and play positionless basketball, but I feel so, like Capella makes Harden so much better off those screen rules that you can't give him up. Yeah. So speaking of offseason acquisitions, before we move into the lottery, real quick, who do you want to see the Rockets pick up if they pick somebody up? Just some, just one name. You don't even have to give any type of reasoning. I just want to um, hear. It. As a free agent or a trade? Free agent. They might have to do a trade to get a free agent, but. Uh, 
honestly, I haven't looked as that much into it, who all the big name free agents are, but honestly, I would like to see Kawhi or Katie. You, I knew you were going to say Kawhi. Yeah, like, you just want to see Kawhi or Katie. I feel like if you... I, dude, Katie would be a yeah, cool I mean, if you could have one of those two guys... KD would be doing the opposite of what he did when he left OKC. Mm-hmm. In a sense. Now he's back with Harden. Yeah, he's rejoining yeah. him. So, I mean, I mean, I would love to see them get one of those two guys. Anytime you can get one of the top five players in the league, you got to go out and do it. So, I feel like if you could pair one of them with Harden, it'd be tough to I feel like if KD went to Houston, Russell Westbrook would be so hurt. He would be so hurt. You know he would be. Mm-hmm. You know he'd cry himself to sleep for the next three <laughs> weeks. Something Anywho, like that. Moving forward yeah. from the Rockets talk, I know that it's probably – Weighing pretty heavy in Thomas's heart. <laughs> um, we're gonna move into up, dude, the camera. draft. Yeah, we're gonna move into the draft lottery. Uh, this is tonight. We have probably the most talented draft lottery that we've seen in a long time. I mean, there's a lot of game-changing players. Uh, you know, you have Zion, of course. You have John Morant. You have R.J. Barrett, and an array of other players that are out there. And it's a big night for our hometown Atlanta Hawks. So they Mm -hmm. have a great chance. We're going to go over the, you know, I guess the odds for each pick. And Atlanta's sitting at the fifth highest with 10.5% chance of landing that number one pick. Cleveland, New York, and Phoenix are all at 14%. Who do you, let's say the Atlanta does not get this number one pick. Who would you want them to get if they get, like, let's say, the second or third pick? Or even their fifth pick? Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think it matters where the Hawks end up picking in this draft tonight. As long as we get our pick, as long, I mean, as long as we have the Mavs pick, I think we'll be fine. I mean, we got John Collins at the set, at the 18th pick, Trey Young at the fifth pick, Kevin Herter at the 19th pick. Um, I mean, I just feel like Travis Schlink knows what he's doing. You look at the Warriors, that's where he's from. I mean, I hate to be that guy. Oh, I'm not saying that these guys are the Curry and Thompson, Draymond Greens of the league. You know, I'm just saying that Travis Schlink comes from an organization where that they got their best player. Curry, who I believe was seven, Thompson was eleven, Draymond Green was mm-hmm. in the second round. You know, well, I mean, they found value. Yeah, they found value outside of those top five picks. I mean, it's definitely doable. Obviously, those guys in the top five are some surefire studs, but you can still find value out of there. But I just feel like that, and I trust in Schlink. I've seen his path so far, and I'm seeing he knows what he's doing, and I trust him to make the right decisions. But I feel like a guy like DeAndre Hunter. You know, if you miss out mm-hmm. on those Duke boys and John Moran, I feel like DeAndre Hunter with his length and his ability to shoot the ball, he reminds me a lot of a Kawhi Leonard because you know he's kind of like that 3-4 like tweener guy kind of like Kawhi was but obviously he's not really big enough to be a back to the basket four but in the new league he can play the four so I feel like DeAndre Hunter has the ability to transform into a Kawhi type player also really like Bull Bull I think if he can stay healthy that he's a once in a lifetime type player because those players who have guard skills that are seven feet tall I mean Carl Anthony Towns comes to mind Anthony Davis he could be equally as good a yeah, shoot, Kevin Ray. He could be one of those kind of guys. So and I, I feel like and a I guy definitely, like that is what I want. I definitely agree with you. I One, I do trust the Hawks organization because they have been making the right calls a lot lately. Um, I think that they have a lot of potential in the future. And why not like mimic the Golden State Warriors you know, rebuild process? And, I mean, there's no reason not to mimic it a little bit because it's been, you know, extremely successful. And the fact that they've already found two, you know, guards that seem to be their cornerstones and they also have John Collins, they're actually, this is going to be something of a hot take, but they're actually kind of ahead of the Golden State Warriors were in the beginning processes of getting Mm -hmm. that team. You know what I'm saying? They already have pieces that have been making a huge impact at, you know, the NBA level. And I think that the Hawks really shouldn't even be in the top five in the lottery this year. They they were a good team this year. They were honestly hard to beat, except I, I do feel like that they were strategically tanking. And I think that, that it's helped them out a lot because if they get any of these picks within the top 10, if they get their guy, they get somebody that's a good culture fit. I think that that's four pieces in your starting five that will have a large impact on your team and I think that Atlanta's definitely in a good position even if they don't get that first pick and 
there's other teams that needed more than them. So I definitely it would be awesome, but I would understand if they didn't. And yeah, besides, I think our player. Go ahead. Or keep going. You got. Guys, I think our, like you said, with that point with the Warriors, I mean, it took Curry till that fourth season in the league to even break averaging 20 points per game. Trey Young is already there. Exactly. And on top of all that, I mean, I just feel like that no matter what, we just need both these picks and we're going to find value and get the right players, whether we get Culver and Hunter, Bull Bull and Hunter, Cam Reddish or RJ Barrett. And one, you know, like I feel like no matter what, the Hawks know what they're doing and they're going to get the right pieces, like you said. But realistically, if John Collins had played all season long, we probably would be looking at like the seventh or eighth pick. Because remember, he missed like the first 20 games and we lost like 14 or 11 games in a row or something like that. So I think the Hawks honestly strategically sat. Collins out for a while because they knew we'd be too good yeah, with him in there. Because once he came in there, the Hawks were about they were hutch, they were around five hundred. Yeah, and they probably would have had good enough of a record to make the playoffs if not. And as far as you know, if Phoenix gets that number one pick, uh, I think they really do pick John Morant. I know that there was that rumor that they were high on John Morant. I'm very high on John Morant. I think that of all the players in the draft, I feel like he has the best feel for the game. He might not be the most physically talented, but he has the best feel for the game. I feel like he knows where he's at at all times. He's a great passer as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, having John Morant on that Phoenix organization uh, fills a desperate need for them in terms of having a guy that can facilitate. Uh, I think that they probably use him kind of like the Rockets use James Harden and the year without, you know, when I'm, when, uh, he was used as a the first year in Dan Antonio's system where he was mm-hmm. used as a point guard. I feel like they'll use him as that situation pairs up, you know, with Devin Booker. And I'm looking forward to tonight just because once this lottery is set and once the draft order is set, you kind of will be able to know where players are going just because this whole this whole lineup of teams in the top five have needs that are desperate fills. So, like, you can mm-hmm. kind of tell. Obviously, Phoenix having an affinity towards John Morant means I think that Zion will slip if Phoenix gets that number one pick. I'm yeah, and I mean, I agree with you, though. I think John Moran is a better fit in Phoenix. I think they need someone who can move the ball. I mean, Devin Booker did get his assists up. I mean, he was before that. He averaged 4.7, 3.4, 2.6, but he got 6.8 assists last year, almost seven. But I feel like Booker's more, you know, of a shoot first a kind of guy. Score, yeah. You need that. yeah, you need that guy who can move the ball. Also, I love how John Moran said that he literally studied how his teammates shoot and what kind of shots that he thinks best fits them so he can help get them the ball. I mean, you would think a guy who plays at Murray State that's as good as John Morant would be like, I got to do everything myself. But he's like, nah, I'm going to do it, but I'm also going to figure out how I can make my teammates great around me. I think like I've seen people comparing him since Chris Paul is the point god, calling him point god 2.0. I actually kind of like that. I mean, I really think like watching John Morant play him stuff that he's a great passer. Yeah, he's like a LeBron or Chris Paul. Like, yeah, he can go out and score 40 points, but he'd rather have his teammates involved. Yeah. I mean, there's a not pass many first guy for sure. Here. And yeah, in, not many players come out like that. And in both of those games in which Murray State won, uh, well, all the games really that Murray State won, it wasn't necessarily the games didn't even in the game that he scored thirty plus, it didn't start with him, you know, going for a bucket right off the jump. Like it often starts with him passing it, and you can't double team a passer, so it helps him. A really good passer, it's hard to double team because he will find the open man. And I think that that showed a lot during the NCAA tournament. And I think that he's a great fit for – I think he's my favorite player in the draft because what, whatever you want to say about Zion, he does rely on his physical prowess like a lot. So obviously he definitely is extremely talented. I'm not saying he's not by any means. But I just really like and I really like – John Morant's feel for the game. Yeah, and like you said, he can get it done both ways. Like against Marquette in the first round, he had 17 points, 16 assists, and 11 rebounds. But then against Belmont in the championship game for the Ohio Valley Conference, he has 36 points, only three assists. You know, in the game before that against Jacksonville State, he is 29 and eight. You know, like he's going to either go out there and he's going to get a ton of assists, or he's going to turn on the score and he knows what kind of game it is. He has a good feel. You know, he's a real smart, high IQ player. My actual 
favorite player though in this draft class is Carson Edwards from Purdue and I'm always saying that just because I love kind of how Carson Edwards plays the game he's small he's undersized but he just straight up gets buckets and I mean in that game against Virginia I still think that is one of the that's up there with the Steph Curry you know games and that he had in March Madness Mm -hmm. I think that game was literally on point with one of the greatest like like, single-handed performances I've seen in a March Madness game and I think that he plays with that Edward will be that guy, you know, who slips into like the mid, like he'll probably slip to the late, late. Um, I doubt he'll be going the top 10, but he'll probably be in the late lottery, like early, you know, kind of playoff teams and miss the playoffs. But I think he'll be a guy that we'll see emerge off the bench quickly as a instant bucket, kind of like Lou Williams. Yeah. And uh, this is off topic. I will say this much, but uh, NBC sports mm-hmm. on their website, they did a, 2019 NBA mock draft lottery simulator and I just wanted to uh, just mention this they have the heat the Miami heat with a 1% chance at getting the number one pick they had the Miami heat snagging Ja Morant at number two how ridiculous that's ridiculous. I don't see any of that happening. I mean, the draft won't be absurd like that. I want to say this, though, before we kind of move on and talk about those game sevens here with the draft with the draft lottery. I think the draft lottery it has a humongous – I think this is the biggest effect the draft yes. lottery's ever had on the league, 100%. not because of where these guys will go, but because if the Knicks get the number one pick, the Knicks are probably going to end up getting Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving from what I've heard. And so I think that's huge because that is a huge – not only does that impact the league with the fact that New York's going to get those players and they're a huge TV market and whatnot, but it kind of evens the league out again by the Warriors not having Kevin Durant anymore. Kind of is weird. And, you know, it just shakes up the entire league because that probably means that they can trade for Anthony Davis or they can keep Zion. I mean, it makes the Knicks one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference, completely shakes it up. Makes you wonder if Kawhi Leonard's going to choose to go out west because he thinks the East he's got to go through Milwaukee and through the Knicks. You know, it really, really, really shakes up the league by putting another super power team in the Eastern Conference. I know we're, we have it on the ballot for later on the show, but after that shot, after that moment, I feel like Kawhi might stay in Toronto. Yeah, I mean, we can t- we'll can. we definitely talk about it we'll in this t- next we'll segment. Also, also, too, before we move on here real quick, Phoenix could really get screwed if they don't get the one or the two pick because, I mean, Morant, I think for sure that Morant and Zion go one and two no matter I who do. has the pick. I agree with so. you. I think that could really screw over a team like Phoenix. Like, I think if they got Barrett or somebody like that, they still wouldn't make the playoffs. And then you would wonder if Phoenix can even do it there if they need to blow it up. Booker might get, you know, like, it just, it really, like, Having this has a number three pick for Phoenix, you really would have to consider trading down for some other assets because it's not a need for you. I mean, RJ Barrett was great, but at the same time, it's, I truly do feel like RJ Barrett should be playing shooting guard, not point guard. Uh, just didn't show me enough as a 100%. facilitator at Duke. And I think that, you know, even if it's a small trade down, I mean, I guess you could get go out and get DeAndre Hunter, but at the same time, you just drafted for that position, like just recently. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe trading down and trying to get Kobe White, uh, somebody like that that can, you know, just fill that point guard position, I think is your best option. They may have to reach for him at number three. But... I just don't see those other, because I mean you have R.J. Barrett and DeAndre Hunter probably run, rounding out those five pit or the top five. Uh, I mean, I just don't see the point of you know trying to draft a position that you've already drafted for unless it's an absolute steal. So. Yeah. I think more so for Phoenix, it would be trading that number three pick and like TJ Warren and something else to get an already established player like a Carl Anthony Towns or I don't, you know, or like a yeah. point guard, maybe even shoot, maybe even trade Chris the pick Paul. to the Rockets and get Chris. Yeah, exactly. Like, so, I mean, but Chris Paul's honestly too old to trade that pick for, but yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things that can happen there with all that, but let's move here now to game seven. Let's get it going. We'll start with the first game of the two with the um, Raptors and, or what am I saying? Not the, the Nuggets and the Blazers were the first game. And, you know, my biggest takeaway from this game is Nuggets choke straight up. I mean, they were up 17 points at one point in the first half. It felt like they literally controlled the game the whole first half. The last three minutes, they let the Blazers get it down to nine points going into halftime. And then you sit there and say, all right, well, Damian Lillard just played probably the worst half of basketball he's played all season long. And to only be down nine points, I mean, you're like sitting there. If you're in Portland, you're like, all right, we're still in this game. But then the second half, C.J. McCollum just absolutely took over. The Nuggets missed 11 free throws on top of that, and Joker missed a huge one that would have that would have cut yeah, it from a uh, yeah. Th- yeah would cut it from a two point game to a one point game. So I mean, that 
absolutely just screwed them right there. But I thought the biggest takeaway for me from this game, besides the Nuggets choking this game away, was Damian Lillard. I felt like that even though he didn't play well, he found different ways to impact the game. Yeah, and sure. the thing that people don't say about superstars enough, like Steph Curry, if Steph Curry has a bad game, he'll defer to Klay Thompson, he'll defer to Kevin Durant. You know, that's the thing that you don't see a lot of other superstars do. You don't see them defer to the other guys. But Damian Lillard trusted C.J. McCollum. And like C.J. McCollum said, when they were drawn up the play, he told Coach, flatten out, I'll go get the bucket. And that's exactly what he did. And mm-hmm. that was that performance I'll always remember. That block he had and just the way he took yeah. over the scoring the ball, um, that's, that's, that's legendary. C.J. McCollum, I think this Game 7 is going, going to be considered the C.J. McCollum game. I think this was it. Uh, he played phenomenal, 17 for 29 from the field, which is incredible. He only shot two free throws, and he still scored 37, which is unbelievable, and especially in a game like this. He had nine rebounds, uh, one assist, one steal, and a block, and that block came in a huge moment. But like you said, Damian Lillard definitely he played a different role than he usually does. Uh, I mean, obviously, it just wasn't his day. It wasn't his night. He was three for 17. But here's the thing. He got 10 rebounds, 8 assists, 3 steals, and Mm -hmm. he only had one turnover. And I think that the ability for Damian Lillard, like you said, to defer to his teammate probably was the most important factor in them winning this game in terms of him not forcing things because he let C.J. McCollum go off. He let him do his thing, and it was just awesome to see. And another person that I'd like to give a nice little shout-out the role player off the bench right there is Zach Collins. Uh, yep. Great performance by him throughout the series. He was kind of their uh, P.J. Tucker in a sense. Uh, mm-hmm. He's kind of like lighting that fire under him. He had four blocks in Game 7. And four blocks is huge. I mean, that's the difference in, you know, four shots that may have gone in. And especially at his position, I mean, he's always going to be down low so they're close range shots high percentage shots in a four point game four blocks is huge and I think that we've really seen the trailblazers you know they're undermanned truly and we've really seen some players step up for them we saw Rodney Hood hopefully Rodney Hood didn't have too serious of an injury I hate to see him go down especially yeah they said there was no structural damage just a bruise I saw that but especially I hope it's not too serious, and I hope he gets full like the full minute. I also hope it doesn't slow him down because he's been playing phenomenal. But, I mean, this game was a tight game all the way throughout. I don't think that either team really had a crazy advantage on the scoreboard as or scorecard as far as any, like, you know, the turnover, low turnovers. I mean, they don't four and five. Uh, they both had 50-plus rebounds, and... I think that C.J. McCollum was obviously the difference maker. I think that both teams fought hard. This was a really hard-fought series. They went to four overtimes at one point. And the fact that the Trailblazers pulled it out, I mean, I doubted them. And I I did too. I I take it back. I mean, that's my bad. It's on me. I respect that the Trailblazers have been dealing with so many injuries and so little depth at this point, and they're they're still kicking it. Yeah, I actually predicted the Nuggets to win in seven, so I was a little shocked. I actually think the biggest play of the game, though, was kind of with like, I believe it was with like about three and a half minutes left. The Nuggets had a chance to cut the lead to one point if they could have got a bucket at the other end. But Damian Lillard had that big time steal and then Mm -hmm. just immediately pulled up and hit the three. I thought that was a real backbreaker, but... What I'll look at in this game is both teams shot. The, the Blazers were four for 26 for three for 15%, mm-hmm. and the Nuggets were two for 19 for 10%. I mean, you don't win a lot of games that. Neither team really turned the ball over. Four turnovers for the Blazers, five for the Nuggets. So, I mean, both teams took care of the ball with that. Like you said, Zach Collins is huge off the bench. But looking at this from a Nuggets perspective, I actually think this is a good thing that happened to this Nuggets team. You know, this is a young Denver team. Neither team, let's be honest, is going to beat Golden State in the next round. We'll get to that a little bit later though but I just felt like that it was good for Denver you know to get there to play in the big game and to honestly face adversity and lose I felt like that was a good thing for him if you think about this team they have a guy in Michael Porter Jr. who is the top prospect at everything he sat the entire season I mean he's coming next year y'all gotta think about that Michael Porter Jr. is gonna be with this team I mean Jokic young guy Jamal Murray young guy Gary Harris young guy Malik Beasley young guy you know they got basically all their best players except excluding Millsap are really young guys. Millsap's also, the one veteran on this team. They also have a lot of uh, 
they have the ability to clear space for another superstar player. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Michael Porter Jr. helps them in that because they can trade him in a package to get a big name player if yep. they wanted to trade for one. And if they wanted to sign for one, they would have to restructure a little bit, but they could do it pretty easily. And from a from a standpoint of a Denver fan, if you are a Denver fan, this series is tough at first, but at the same time, you got Denver. The Denver Nuggets are probably one of the youngest teams in the NBA. They probably have one of the brightest futures in the NBA. So it's not too big of a deal. Yes, that sounds crazy because they've, you know, lost a game seven in the semifinals. But I think that the Denver Nuggets are here to stay for at least the next four to five years. For sure. Yeah, and that that home court advantage they get up there with teams traveling around having to come play them up in the mile high and everything up there. I feel like that that'll always be a big thing. Denver's always going to be – I feel like this Denver team's always going to be a top three, four seed because they're always going to have that home court advantage, you know. So I feel like that was big experience for him. Jamal Murray's going to be – I mean, he'll probably be a borderline all-star if not an all-star and next year. Tell. You can – speaking of which, the home court advantage, you can tell that players are more winded than Denver. I mean, Mm -hmm. C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard looked gassed at the end of that fourth quarter. And, I mean, they were, but they they toughened it out. And as far Mm -hmm. as the Trailblazers in the future, though, next next series, you literally have to get a C.J. McCollum game from both C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard to even have a chance to win four games against the Golden State Warriors. And even then, it might not be enough. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you there. For sake of time, though, let's move here now to the Raptors and 76ers. I mean, obviously, everyone's biggest takeaway from this game is Kawhi Leonard is an absolute freak. I mean, just the numbers that he put up throughout this series, he had 41 points in that game, eight rebounds, three assists. I mean, obviously, hitting that buzzer beater was crazy. He took 39 shots, but, I mean, I don't have a single problem with him shooting 39 shots. I mean, he should have honestly, if anything, shot more. I mean, he was the guy for them, obviously. Uh, Pascal Siakam still not fully healthy uh it's pretty obvious i i would i think at least uh i don't think that he's fully back he's losing a little bit it's a calf injury so he's losing a little bit of a he's got a little bit less hop on him so it's affecting him especially the player that he is uh with him not being able to get inside get that height that he can use and utilize i think it slows this game down pretty significantly but Kawhi leonard Kawhi leonard just took control of this game it's it's as simple as that. I mean, I how many fourth quarter points did he have? I wish we had a stack guy here. But the guy absolutely took control of this game. He had three steals. Uh, they were all big-time steals. I think the last two came in the fourth quarter. And, I mean, there's, there's nothing more you can say about Kawhi Leonard. I, I'm still thoroughly convinced he's a robot. And, yes, I know he got injured, but mechanics fix cars all the time so i think that he is a robot and that last shot was awesome man that was the first time i've ever seen Kawhi display any kind of emotion Emotion. that was my favorite part about it was seeing him yell after he hit that shot and just so fired up that's the first time i've ever seen an emotional Kawhi. i mean i'm gonna have to eat my words here on this one look Kawhi leonard to me is now is easily a top five three player in the league i mean he flipped the switch Kawhi, i don't even know how many 40 point games he had in the regular season but i don't think he had more than three in the playoffs he went from game one he had 41 game two 29 game three 21 then 39 33 35 45 I mean he's pretty much putting the team on his back every single night Multi- many of those games too pretty much four out of those seven games he had a double double with rebounds too and over five assists so, I mean Kawhi is absolutely balling out but I really underestimated his ability to flip the switch I mean to Kawhi the regular season is just whatever you know like he doesn't really care how what he does in the regular season but in the playoffs Kawhi Leonard is a completely different player and he's probably the one player in the league that you do not want to cross I would definitely agree. He just brings too much to the court. I mean, he brings a defensive prowess that is undeniable. I mean, just his hands alone are scary on the defensive side of the ball. And this is a guy that's going to get you, you know, good numbers on the rebound on rebounding. He's going to play good defense on whoever he's guarding. And you really just can't say enough about him. I mean, I, I had him as my number one player in the uh, playoffs this year. Uh, you didn't you have him in your top three? I think I had him at three or four. Yes. Yeah, so no, I had him at we, three. I had him at three. We both had him, you know, right there in the top five. And I think it's undisputable now that he is the best player in 
this playoff so far. I mean, I know that Kevin Durant is still playing great, but he's hurt now. And I think that, you know, the fact that they won that game six just shows how important Kawhi Leonard is to the Raptors in terms of, I'm saying the Warriors won that game six without Kevin Durant. And another thing that I took away from this game is somebody that had him, had him, been playing that great throughout the series Serge Ibaka had an awesome game it was one mm-hmm. of the main reasons that they won this game he scored 17 points off the bench he also had eight rebounds and three assists and on only two turnovers and here's a little here's a little takeaway from this one uh, stat of the day so be it Kawhi Leonard although he did play 43 minutes had a negative two plus minus and you know what Serge Ibaka's plus minus was in his 29 minutes on the court what like plus 15 plus 22 jeez so yeah and Ibaka huge. was getting like like are you saw in a lot of those games and B would just straight up just go down there and just throw Ibaka around like he was nothing so I mean I agree with you I saw Ibaka in that game and I was like wow this is like Ibaka you could tell got better and figured out how to better play against Embiid as the series went on also Leonard only had one 40 point game in the regular season and he had two this series so that is because to show you how easily that Kawhi can flip the switch but from Philadelphia's standpoint, I know a lot of people keep on saying that the 76ers, you know, that they don't need to pay Tobias Harris. They need to get rid of Embiid. They need to keep Simmons. Embiid needs to get a better diet and all this. I think it's too soon. I don't think the yeah. 76ers need to blow anything up I yet. I think they it. need to try to bring everybody back, keep the team together another year, see if they can make everything work. Because, I mean, realistically, this is the second most talented team in the league to the Warriors. Embiid's still young. I mean, obviously not age-wise, but playing-wise, this is really only his second full year playing him in the league two and a half years pretty much is what he has under his belt I want to see Embiid with another year under his belt. I want to see Simmons. I mean, honestly, at this point, you have to kind of decide if Simmons is taller Rondo or if he's LeBron without his jump shot yet. I yes. lean more on the taller Rondo side because he's not even willing to attempt three-point shots. He will. Fun fact, he didn't attempt a shot in the entire series outside of the paint, which yeah. is that's what I'm saying. He's taller than Mind-blowing to me. I think that he really needs to take this all offseason and at least develop some sort of jump shot, whether it's mid-range or not. I mean, you've seen players make careers off mid-range jump shots. I mean, look at mm-hmm. DeMar DeRozan. I mean, probably one of the best mid-range jumpers in the league. Look and how C.J. McCollum sent yeah. the Nuggets home. It was oh, off yeah, the mid-range, sure. jump, mid-range shot, jump shot, not three ball. And I think that... If you just start from, you know, the basics, which it sounds crazy. You're an NBA basketball player. Why are you starting from the basics right now? You you need to have a jump shot in the NBA. In, in the playoffs, you're going to get exposed every single time if you cannot hit that jump shot. And, I mean, he was four for five from the field in that last game. But as a superstar player, as an all-star, you, you need more than that. And... I really do think that he needs to develop that jump shot over the offseason, but I do agree with you as well that they need to keep this core together. Let's face it, Tobias Harris has been there for, you know, half a season or almost less than half a season. And the only thing that I think that you might need to bring in if you're the 76ers is some scoring off the bench. I mean, that is something that they struggle with all series, especially in a close series when you don't have, you know, somebody that can score off the bench or, you know, somebody that's at least consistent off the bench. Then you're going to lose games. Uh, I think it keeps some pressure off everybody on the court because uh, I don't think Joel Embiid is the type of dude that you want to play 45 minutes. I just don't think it's good for him in terms of being as big as he is, uh, as mm-hmm. hard as he plays. I think that you have to find some help for him off the bench. I uh, know. I mean, their bench had only 27 minutes total. Uh, that's yeah. I th- yeah. Brett Brown. By the way, they said they are going to keep him around. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Him. I don't know if that's the right decision. I felt like Brett Brown really didn't take advantage of a lot of matchups that he had in those. You know, in in the playoffs, I, I just, hate that they put Joel Embiid up top. I hate it. They put him on the three point line all the time, and in certain situations, especially this series, I don't think that if you play sir or if you play Joel Embiid on the block, I don't think anybody on that Raptors team can stop him consistently. I really don't. And they're trying to use him on like pick and rolls and sometimes it's not working because the Raptors are athletic enough to, you know, stop a pick and roll. They're athletic enough to halt it. And 
the fact that they don't want to put him on the block is just crazy to me. I think that Brett Brown needs, I think this is his last year, regardless. Yeah, no, I, I Next it's, year, it's do or die for Brett Brown. I'll say this before we move on because I know we've taken forever to talk about these two things. The one thing I did like seeing about the 76ers go down was the emotion of Joel Embiid. You can say, oh, he shouldn't be crying. I like seeing that emotion because that tells you how much he cares and how badly he wanted to win. I think Embiid's going to dedicate himself to his diet, getting in shape better, figuring out you know better ways to treat his body and everything I think Embiid's gonna figure it out and come back this year I think it'd be foolish to move on from Embiid unless you can work some sort of big time blockbuster trade so I mean it'll be interesting to see what happens if the 76ers need to make more moves or not I just feel like their core players are Simmons and Embiid they may have to make the decision I would wait one more year before I make the decision and see how these guys you know they're still young like I said but let's move on from there we're skipping one one more thing, I feel like Joel Embiid needs to develop his passing game a little bit more because once mm-hmm. you get to that double team, he tends to make a lot of mistakes and turnovers were huge for him this series. So I think that you know developing that ball handling facilitator type mentality sometimes is going to be huge for him down the stretch. Yeah, no, absolutely. So today we're skipping the power play just because we got so much to talk about. So nothing there for y'all, but we'll have power play later on this week when we do another one. Um, Before we talk about the series we got coming up next round, let's talk a little bit here about the Celtics. So obviously the Celtics went down to the Bucks. We're not really going to talk about that series because, I mean, when we did last time, it was basically wrapped up anyway. But we just got to talk about takeaways from the Celtics of what we saw this season. My Here's my three biggest takeaways from the Celtics. My first one is Kyrie is absolutely out the door and gone. Oh, yeah. I mean, his body language in game in game four when the, the Bucks – I mean, the Bucks literally ran them off the court with George Hill, Pat Connaughton, Brooke Lopez, Sterling Brown, and one of the other bench guys. I can't remember who the other one was that was on the floor but I mean the fact that Boston's season came down to those last three minutes of that third quarter where they went up I think by like 10 or 11 points to end the quarter you can't let that happen I mean Kyrie looked absolutely defeated and it just looked like he was just shooting to shoot then they didn't even show up the next game I mean I could tell Kyrie was gone I also think that Boston is just trying to use Kyrie as the easy scapegoat for everything, but I think it goes both ways, and I think Gordon Hayward is the one that they should be blaming for everything. I always said that I thought that after Hayward got injured and once that we saw Tatum and Brown step up and play so well that they should get rid of Hayward in the offseason. I mean, no matter what, even if it's a horrible trade, I would get rid of him because he's going to take away from those young guys' minutes and cause problems with the team because they're not going to be playing as well because they're not going to be in rhythm. That's exactly what happened, and then we saw the pushback with Kyrie and everything because they thought they were so much better with out him and it ruined everything from the Celtics this team was dysfunctional and never had any chemistry I personally think the Celtics will be about the same team they were last year with Rozier and them running it you could say they were way I, better with Stevens but well, I, just I will don't, say I think East is too stacked now I don't think that listen you could tell Kyrie Irving didn't want to be there I think that's huge you know you're a leader on the team you're one of the best players you've never seen anybody like you don't as much uh, as much you know negative critique as LeBron gets throughout or has LeBron has gotten throughout his career he has never quit on his team really I know they would say that sometimes in Cleveland but this is a guy that always gave it his all and I mean Kyrie Irving just was not good and down the stretch for them and I mean Terry Rozier came out with a quote earlier he said I might have to go I put up with a lot this this year and I think that's a direct you know, I think that's a direct shot at Kyrie Irving. I think that he also said whatever Kyrie wants done, that's what he wants. And if he doesn't get that, then there's going to be turmoil. And I think that Kyrie leaving actually helps him. I truly do believe that. I think mm-hmm. that they will probably keep, they will try to retain Terry Rozier. Uh, they will also probably try to um, retain Gordon Hayward because... Although was Hayward still under? I think Hayward yeah, he's still under, has another yeah, year. Yeah, no, he's on. under contract. Yeah, but I'm saying they're gonna try to keep him, keep him there, and not trade him. I would. I'm saying. I would but, get rid of Hayward, but because you also got to think about this, they have their own draft pick, the Kings draft pick, and they also have the Grizzlies. There's the Grizzlies, the Kings draft pick. I don't think is protected, or it might be top ten, but I mean, yeah, they, regardless, they're probably going to keep it because the Kings barely missed the playoffs. But the the Grizzlies pick is top eight protected. So I mean, if they have three draft picks and they can trade Gordon Hayward, I mean, they could get a lot back in value with that. You're right, and I mean, I think that the fact that they have all these draft picks and all these potential prospects in terms of trading. I think that it is huge for them. 
And I don't think that Boston's going to see too much of a fall off in terms of, you know, like having to rebuild or anything. It's also good Mm -hmm. news that Al Horford would reportedly take a discount to stay in Boston, which is huge. Yeah, he's a free agent. He's their backbone for. I think he's their emotional backbone. And I think that once Kyrie leaves, look, I love Kyrie Irving as a player. I love him to death. But his leadership was questionable at very minimum this year for the Celtics. And I think that he just wasn't a good culture fit. I think it's as simple as that. And I think that moving forward from this Kyrie Irving era in Boston is going to be huge for them. And I don't see that. I don't think that they're going to have too big of a fall off. I don't think that they're going to need to rebuild in terms of, you know, like a crazy rebuild, Mm -hmm. start from scratch. I think that they have the pieces, they have the ability to really come right back to where they were. And let's face it, I mean, without Kyrie Irving or Gordon Hayward, this is a team that went to the Eastern Conference Finals. I know it's a very different Eastern Conference at the time, but I think that they're okay. Yeah, I mean, it'll be weird to see where what Kawhi ends up doing. That'll weigh a lot on the Eastern Conference. Um, I still think that there will be a couple, at least three, four teams that could be better than the Celtics, but I mean, with without Kyrie Irving. But I mean, like you said, I mean, they had a better record without Kyrie on the floor in regular season. They got that far without him. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happened. Like I said, they got lots of pieces. So, a lot think, could happen for Celtics. I mean, there's still bright future there for them. I mean, you got any closing words you want to say before yeah, we... Yeah, I, I do... I have one thing. I saw a thing that said uh, Kobe Bryant is the ultimate Laker because all the players that he's been working with in the offseason are having career years like Giannis Antetokounmpo and Kawhi Leonard. But the players in the Boston Celtics are, you know, causing turmoil like uh, Jason Tatum and Kyrie Irving, who are both, you know, Kobe, uh, I guess, apprentices. And I think that it's funny that the players on Boston that are trained by Kobe struggled so much and that's a big rivalry Lakers versus Boston so I I love that that is funny I didn't even think about that I loved it I think that Kobe might have done something (laughs) who knows I mean it's something that he would do but moving forward we had some big news break in LA Frank Vogel to the Lakers is 100% official. I think that that is a nice pickup for them. Hopefully can kind of calm the calm the waves in that LAC because LA has been a mess, man. Ever since LeBron went down with that groin injury, it has been downhill spiral. I mean, super downhill spiral. And I think Frank Vogel is a nice pickup for them. See, I'm going to disagree with you on this one because I got it for multiple reasons. My first reason is I don't care what anybody says, but LeBron and his camp planted the story that they wanted Luke Walton fired. And I just think that if you hire a coach that LeBron doesn't want, that there's really no point getting him. We've seen it happen with David Blatt in the past. We've seen it happen in lots of different places with lots of different coaches that LeBron didn't like. So I personally think it's a horrible signing for that reason and that reason only. Um I think Vogel himself is a decent coach. I also felt like, though, with the Pacers teams that he had, that they struggled a lot in the big games. You know, like the, they let the Hawks, when they were the one seed, is the, is the eight seed Hawks take them to, you know, take them all, all the way to the seventh game. You know, we saw them choke away when they got up on the Miami Heat. Choke it. I mean, obviously, that was a hard series to win, but still kind of choked that one away. I'm not a big fan of this Vogel signing, honestly, and I think that he will not be in LA after two seasons. And I do agree with you that LeBron is a you know, an issue when it comes to hiring a coach because, you know, he definitely does have this, uh, I guess, he wants the coach that he wants and it doesn't usually work out if it's not the coach Mm -hmm. that he wants. But I also do feel like, you know, having Frank Vogel and Jason Kidd on the coaching staff, I think Jason Kidd is the key cog in terms of dealing with LeBron James. And player development. Yeah, whether you like to believe it or not, I know they're very different players, but they play similar. Uh, they both are kind of pass first players. They're both very good passers. Jason Kidd, I think, will be able to kind of help, you know, work with LeBron specifically. I think that uh, that's the key cog for me is having Jason Kidd is that an assistant position. But we will see because it, it does help having somebody that, whether you want to believe it or not, it does help, especially in LeBron's situation, to have somebody that is a Hall of Fame basketball player in the coaching staff. I mean, having somebody that has a great basketball mind that has actually played will I feel like will you know help appeal to LeBron James although I'm not I do have 
obviously I do have my worries about it, but I'm interested to see how it pans out. No, I definitely no, I definitely agree with you there. For the sake of time, we'll just hit on these real quick, so we'll move from there and let's talk about the second one here, beeline to the Cavs. I love it. Um I yeah, you like this? Actually, I'll let you start this one since you like this one. Listen, I love Beeline's whole entire career arc. I think that starting at junior varsity high school and working our way up to the NBA is incredible, especially because, I mean, he's done it in a relatively quick period of time in terms of, you know, raising, rising the ranks in terms of coaching. But I think that as far as the Cavaliers getting, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a Cleveland sports fan. Uh, my mom grew up there. I kind of had an affinity towards them, even though they've always sucked. So I kind of like this particular pick because they are a young team. They are they are ready to be shaped in whatever form. I think this is a perfect time to give a coach a long-term contract because this is a team that's so young and so fresh that they don't really have any, like, Pre, you know, they don't have a predetermined setup. They they are what they are just kind of ready to be molded. And I think that he has a track record for success. He brought Michigan out of the dumps, and mm-hmm. I think that he did a really good job in terms of you know just using utilizing all his players in the best possible way that he could. And I think that you know giving him a young team that's kind of almost a a college type team in terms of experience, in terms of youth, I think that it helps them tremendously. I think that I'm I'm really looking forward to it. And a little fun fact, Dan Gilbert is actually a huge Michigan State fan. So he took Michigan's coach and put him on the NBA team. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, he knows he might have been doing it from that perspective just because he wanted to take their coach away. Yeah, he's a huge but- booster there. Uh, see, I didn't even know that part. Um, so my angle on this is a little bit different. Um, I actually am not a fan of this move at all. I think Beeline, I mean, he's 66 years old. I think it's a little late for him to be breaking into the NBA. Um, feel like he had everything set up at Michigan. He had a top five recruiting class coming in. He had a good team already coming back. That he's always wanted to coach the NBA, though. Run. Yeah, I know. I know he had always wanted to, but... You could also say you can go back to college, but I just feel like when you have everything set up for you so well in college, why do that? I mean, NBA, there's so many personalities. If I was a coach, I would always want to be a college coach just because I feel like it's so much easier to coach basketball in college rather than it is in the NBA. So uh, from that perspective, I think that Beeline should have stayed. I think he's a little old, but I think he could do a good job developing these players as we have seen him develop players at Michigan because most of his players stay there for four years. So mm-hmm. I feel like from that perspective that he could be a good job, do a good job with relating to these young guys that are coming to the league and helping develop their skills. I think he could be a good coach, but I feel like that he's kind of old and it's not the right move for the Cavs. I also think he's kind of walking into a dumpster fire because you don't even – if I were him, I would have waited for the lottery, for the ping pong balls to fall tonight before deciding. Because, I mean, if the Cavs get the fifth pick, then you're just kind of like, well, shit. Now, Well, get- I think the fact that he is 66 and he has, you know, he's been around the block. A fun fact for him is that he has never been an assistant at any level. He's always been the head coach. Uh, he's been in Michigan for 12 years. He's experienced Final Fours. He's experienced, you know, Big Ten tournament wins, uh, regular season He was the titles. national championship with that Trey Burke yeah. team, lost yeah. to Louisville. Yeah, and I mean, he's done incredible things at Michigan. And I think that, you know, stepping into a new setup with the Cleveland Cavaliers, I know you were saying it's a dumpster fire, but they do have a lot of youthful talent and they do have a lottery pick. I think that he's in it for the long haul. Obviously, he signed that five-year deal because he thinks that he can work, you know, work this team. He start he picked the Cleveland Cavaliers because he could start from scratch. I think the fact that you could look at it in two ways that they don't have anything and that they are a dumpster fire, but because they don't have anything, he can build his team however he sees fit. So I think that that's huge for him. I think that's one of the only reasons he took the position to begin with. And let's face it, man, this guy's a winner. And I think that that's huge to bring into Cleveland. I think that Cleveland is actually, uh, Cleveland's on the come up as a city. 
Yeah, the Browns are going to be good. I don't know. I feel if I were him, I would have waited to see how the ping pong balls fall tonight. Like I said, it, it all comes down to that. If they can get one of these Duke boys or jaw, then, I mean, they can change their whole entire franchise. But if not, then I don't really know how it's going to go for Cleveland. We've seen how it's gone. So, I mean, I think they're just hoping that they get more luck. But for the sake of time, let's move here now and let's finish up and talk about these these two series that are beginning this week. We need, we'll start off, say our prediction, and then give our reasoning for it and kind of talk a little bit about back and forth about the series in general. We'll start here with the game tonight, Blazers versus Warriors. I'm going to go Warriors in five in this one. I think that I, I honestly don't even know if the Blazers can win one game. I don't know if we'll see Kevin Durant in this series, but I don't think it's going to matter if we see Kevin Durant or not. We already saw them win that game. with. We already saw them basically win two games without Kevin Durant in the playoffs against a substantially better team. I also think Damian Lillard has run out of gas a little bit. If you look at his last couple of games he's played in, he's not been as good. I really don't think Damian Lillard's been the same old Damian Lillard since – they won that game two game in Denver. You know, I mean, this Blazers team obviously has accomplished a lot more than we thought we they could, especially without Nurkic. I mean, me and both you both thought it was over for them without Nurkic. I mean, this is a team that was going into that game seven or even going into these playoffs. It was like one in their last 18 in road playoff games. And the fact that they've won three road playoff games in these playoffs is absolutely crazy. So, I mean, they definitely have overachieved. But if you look at Lillard's last couple games, I mean, in game six, he dropped um, 32 points, shot uh, shot 11 for 23 from the field. That's not terrible. But then 9 for 21, 22, 9 for 22, 28, 10 for 24, 28, 5 for 17 for 14 points, 3 for 17 in that game seven. You know, so, I mean, realistically, I think Damian Lillard's running out of gas and he's running on fumes and the Warriors still strong and ready to go. And... While I do agree with you to a certain extent, it's a whole other matchup. Um, the Denver Nuggets actually matched up pretty well with the Trailblazers in terms of you know having a defensive matchup mm-hmm. on the court. I think that the big matchup that's going to stand out, if especially if Kevin Durant misses a couple games, is that Clay Thompson matchup with whatever guard that he matches with. I think that that matchup is going to be key. I actually have a little hot take to go with tonight i think that the trailblazers you know are going to this is going to be a hot take just to warn you Mm -hmm. i think that the trailblazers pull off this game one uh we see it all the time uh you know the warriors have had a few days off uh you know they've had four days off we often kind of see like these number one seeds that have kind of rushed through and won a lot of games and have had some time to rest i you see them a lot kind of struggle in game one to get it back into the swing of things. And I think that the Trailblazers are rolling on momentum. I th- I really do feel like they're a hot team. I think that they pull off game one, but I don't think that they have a lasting impact on the series. And I think that Kevin Durant comes back game two and they probably either sweep or, you know, get it done in six. Well, the, Steve Kerr said yesterday in his interview that Kevin Durant hasn't even set foot on the court yet, and he wouldn't be reevaluated until Thursday. So, I think it's high. I honestly don't think we'll see Kevin Durant at all in this series. I think I they're very line being able to get it I don't done. Think it's necessary. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just feel like the Warriors are going to do it, man. I mean, I feel like the five games is five games is perfect to me. I mean, the Warriors. They're pretty much two and three in facing adversity with this team they've had. So they lost to the Cavs when they faced adversity in the finals. That was the only time they lost. Other than that, though, I mean, they faced adversity down 3-1 against the Thunder. They pulled through. They faced adversity with the best player in the league going down and being able to still beat the Rockets. I feel like this Warriors team has seen everything you can throw at them. And this is just another opponent that they're going to get by quickly and make it short and simple for themselves. I will say, though, I, I'm... As far as the Warriors are concerned, I'm sure they are a little bit worried about the rebounding situation. I think the Trailblazers are going to out-rebound the hell out of them in terms of the first couple games at least because they just have more depth in the low the low post. I mean, they really do. And I think that they have, you know, a guy that's kind of an enforcer down there too in Zach Collins. And I think that the Trailblazers do have a chance to win a few games, but I don't think that they're going to win the series by any means. I feel like the Rockets, though, were the exact same way. And, I mean, we all saw how that turned out for Houston. So, I think it'll be more of the same here in this series. Um, what was going to say? Actually, I think that – yeah, that was mainly my last point I wanted to make there was that I, I'm, I don't know. I just feel like that that rebounding thing it goes the same way as it did for Houston. It seemed to be fine for them. I thought it would have been interesting to see the Nuggets since they're so big man heavy match up against them. But <laughs> – I think the Nuggets have kind of run out of gas, too. I just feel like that 
the best thing, honestly, the best thing that could have happened to the Blazers was the fact that they were able to beat um, what's their face. They're able to beat the Thunder so quick in the so first round them, because, yeah, because yeah, I mean, if they had to play back to back seven game series like the Nuggets, they would have come in here just even more out of gas than Unless, they are right now. I mean, obviously, I'm rooting for the Trailblazers in this series because the Warriors are the Warriors, but. Hopefully we get Steph Curry in the first half of games or of game six and not the second half Steph Curry because I really don't think they're they don't have a chance if Steph Curry and Clay Thompson are shooting well. They literally do not have a chance. So we'll see. Uh, like I said earlier, I do believe that Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum have to have incredible performances to even come close to winning three to four games. Yeah, now actually, I remember my point I was going to make. I don't remember the exact stat it is, but the Warriors in game ones of the playoffs, I mean, they basically are unbeatable in game ones at home in Oracle. So I expect that to kind of uh, stand true here. Last was, game one they lost the postseason was to the Thunder when they had Kevin Durant. So. Yeah, I was thinking that. I was thinking like the uh, the LeBron game last year when Jared Smith I, lost his brain for a second. Yeah, that would have been crazy. Yeah, that would have been a crazy game one win. Actually could have turned that series into a little bit more interesting of a series if they wouldn't have had J.R. Smith on the court. But moving forward, we also have mentioned LeBron a couple times. So I think we're good on that. We mentioned Zion. The last thing that I would like to mention uh, should have been a headline low key. But Tiger Woods... Goes for his second major in a row this weekend at the PGA Championship. I cannot wait for it. He actually has not played in a month, which is actually beneficial for him because of his you know history with injuries. I think that he's going to come in fresh, ready to go. Beth Page Black is a course that he has had a lot of success in, and I think it's going to come down to whether he can hit his driver like he was hitting it at Augusta. And if he doesn't, then he's not going to win. I think my favorite, I've already mentioned it in one of our power plays. I think my favorite right now is Rory McIlroy. He's hitting the ball incredible. Had, I think he was averaging like 320 on carry at this last tournament he played, and he was hitting every single fairway, and that is so important at Beth Page Black. So that's something to look out for. I know Thomas isn't going to have too much to say, so I'm just doing as much as I can to fill you guys in on the PGA Championship. Um, I'll give you who I think's going to win real quick before we talk about Buck, Raptors Bucks. That's the one thing we got to cover before we go. Um, I'm going to go with thought, Brooks yeah, Kepka. Right. I feel like he always hangs around there in all the big-time majors, also a Florida State guy. So I feel like that Brooks will bring his A game, and he'll be there with the leaders on the final day, and you know anything can happen on the final day of a yeah. golf tournament. Okay. Well, for some reason, I completely – forgot that we didn't do the Bucks coverage so we have the Easter Conference Finals set and ready to go that kicks or tips off on Wednesday Raptors versus Bucks Bucks with the home court advantage I think that this is the better or it has a better chance of going to game seven uh, in terms of I think that both of these teams kind of are reliant on they're big-name players for sure, obviously, like every team is. But I still think that the Bucks are going to get it done in six. I, I stood strong by that little thing that I said early on, that the Bucks wouldn't lose more than three playoff games. I think that that is true. They're, they're healthy. They're energized. They've had rest. The Raptors have gone to a game seven, and... They're pretty reliant on Kawhi Leonard. I think that having Giannis Antetokounmpo on Kawhi Leonard, if that is the matchup that they run with, it's going to be hard. Yeah, well, see, my thing here with the Bucks is the Bucks. they have the best differential in the playoffs at plus 15.3. They're scoring 116 points per game. Obviously, Toronto is holding their opponents to the least points at 96 points per game. But, I mean, Milwaukee, realistically, in those games against Boston and against uh, Detroit, all of them except for game one against Boston, I mean, they basically quit playing with about five minutes left because they were beating them so bad. And, honestly, we're never – Milwaukee hasn't even faced an opponent yet that's really even made them break a sweat so far in the playoffs. I mean, I think – Toronto can keep these games closer and win one game, but 
I'm on Milwaukee to win this series outright to win the series in five games. I just feel like Milwaukee is so much better team. They dominated the Eastern Conference all season long. Weird stat for you here is the underdog is three and or is four and zero in these matchups this season. Milwaukee's three and one against Toronto this year. Toronto did upset them in Milwaukee one game this season, which was honestly a weird game. But I mean, Milwaukee could shoot the three ball a lot better than than mm-hmm. uh, Toronto is. I agree. And they're shooting the three point ball right now at thirty five percent. They also get Malcolm Brogdon back, which is huge. Toronto is shooting the three-point ball at at 32%, which is not great. Um, I also think that Milwaukee... Go ahead. Say that. No, keep going with what you're saying. I mean, it's also a horrible matchup for the Raptors. I mean, you have Eric Bledsoe on Kyle Lowry, who already struggles against size. I mean, that's just Mm -hmm. how it is. And Eric Bledsoe is... You know, he's a pretty strong guard, and I think he will do well against... uh, Kyle Lowry and you don't get any help for the Raptors you don't get much rest for Pascal Siakam you probably don't get uh, OG Anubia back anytime soon maybe game three but I just don't I the Raptors I think I've ran out of gas unless Kawhi Leonard just does something incredible yeah, I mean, I think is I think Giannis is the better player than Kawhi here. Also, mm-hmm. you know, I want to give Kyle Lowry a little bit of a shout out here. Look, Kyle Lowry might have played awful in those games, shooting the ball and everything, but I'll give it to Kyle Lowry, man. He played scrappy in those games. He found a he way did. to impact the game outside of scoring. Like he was on the ground for those jump balls. You saw him; they were over there popping his fingers back in place every other play. He had a broken. I mean, he was he looked he was beat up. He was beat to shit. But I mean, he kept on getting rebounds. Kept on, you know, he was doing all the little things. He was getting on the ground for the loose balls that's what you want to yeah. see he played extra scrappy and played hard and that's what you know that's what you want to see Kyle Lowry do at the end of the day yeah and especially in close games making those hustle plays is huge but that's the thing though I don't know if these Bucks games are going to be close I think we could we saw blowouts in the Raptors 76er series and we saw blowouts on both sides of it and if the Raptors aren't hot on any given night the Bucks are going to run them off the court because they're just consistent See, the thing is, the Raptors are going to want to play a slowed down game, mm-hmm. low scoring game where the, the Kawhi Leonard can take over and hit a big shot at the end of the game. The only problem is, see, Philadelphia is not a great defensive team. Philadelphia wants to play a fast paced game. And we saw in the games Philadelphia won, they outscored them big as they were playing more fast paced. But I feel like Milwaukee, if they slow the pace down, Milwaukee will say, all right, let's slow the pace down. Let's play. They don't care. Either way, Milwaukee's going to get it done. They're, Milwaukee's the best defensive team in the league in the playoffs and in the regular season. I just... I just feel like the Bucks are too good. Yeah, I think that uh, the Bucks are now my favorite in terms of uh, you know what I'm rooting for. I think that I really want to see the Bucks win this series, and I think that they have the best opportunity to beat Golden State uh, in the next round. Mm-hmm. I think that they can. Realistically, they really can. Um, mm-hmm. They're so deep, especially, and they're only getting they're only getting deeper. I mean, they get one of their best players back in Malcolm Brogdon, and it's literally. With Malcolm Brogdon on the court, they become a tier above what they already are. And that's saying a lot. And I don't think that the Raptors have a chance. And to be honest, I think they're the favorite if, you know, KD's not ready to go or Boogie's not there. I mean, I think that Mm -hmm. they're the favorite going into the next series. But I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. We still have basketball to be played and anything can happen. So... That's how we're going to wrap it up, I'm assuming, unless you have any takes. Uh, I don't have anything else. I've pretty much said any everything that got on my mind here. I mean, I might have forgot one or two things, but I think I feel good about everything. Um, you got And you got nothing left as well, I assume? I'm just going to say big night for uh, us Atlanta Hawks, guys. Uh, I mean, although we've had – or the Hawks have had some down years, this is a – Big night for them in terms of turning it around. I think that if you are even slightly a Hawks fan, you should watch the lottery tonight. It's pretty interesting. And keep your fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, guys. It's going to be a long, hard day of being nervous and trying not to think about how these ping pong balls are going to fall. But once again, we appreciate everyone tuning in, and we hope you all enjoyed it. Peace. Boom.